Let me welcome you to Central once more, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're on our third week this Sunday of our fall series, Life by Design, as we study what it means to be made in God's image. In the first week, we studied how we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to God, and He sets the boundaries of our lives. He sets the boundaries for our blessing and our flourishing. And then last week, we looked at how we were made in God's image for fellowship with God, that God intends for us to have an intimate, personal, face-to-face fellowship and intimacy with Him, and He gives us a dignity and an honor that is unparalleled in all the creation. We're at the pinnacle of creation. From the greatest to the least, the, the most vile sinner still in the image of God with dignity and value made for fellowship with Him. Today, we're going to look at yet one more aspect of how we're designed, that we are made body and soul. There's a lot of confusion about this in our world today, about this aspect of our Creator's design. Some people would suggest that the me, the real me, is the one on the inside, my psychology or, or my soul, the one on the inside, and even if it has no, no bearing at all or no connection at all to who I am on the outside in my body. The real me, the primary me, is the one on the inside, and I get to choose my identity. But that's not how God designed us. Our Creator has given us a far better design than a disconnected self. How? How has He made us? Well, there are three scripture texts we're going to look at today. You'll see them in your bulletin listed out for you. But I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them. You can use the Black Pew Bible in front of you. We'll look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And Psalm 139, let's pray as we begin. O Lord, we ask that you would send the Spirit and open our eyes that we might behold Jesus. Open our hearts that we can receive him afresh and make our wills soft and humble to follow after you and your good design. And Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1, we'll read verse 27. That's page 1 of your pew Bible. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now flip over one page to Genesis 2. We read beginning in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant for the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Flip to page 535 in your pew Bible with a Psalm 139, beginning of verse 13. For you know my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
There was a popular TV game show that I loved when I was a kid, and I think it started in the 60s and was really popular in the 70s and 80s, and the game show is To Tell the Truth. Anybody remember that game show? It started again. You know, you can watch it on ABC now. It was rebooted in 2016. Here's how the game show goes if you're not familiar with it. There are three people who all claim to be exactly the same person. They have the same kind of talent or their achievement or particular job, like maybe they're a stuntman or professional blackjack player or something unusual like that. One of them is telling the truth, and the other two are lying about who they are. And there's a panel of celebrity guests that try to ask a series of questions and figure out which one of these people is telling the truth and which one of them is lying. And then the celebrity guests all guess who's telling the truth. And then the final part of the show is when the host says, will the real stuntman please stand up? Have you seen that show? It's a great one. More people in the first service have seen it than you apparently. <laughs> I love that show when I was a kid. And, but don't hear that as a pastoral endorsement of deception. That's not the, that's not the point this morning. People are asking questions, will the real me stand up? That's the question of the hour in our world right now, in our culture right now. Will the real me please stand up? Who is the real me after all? And how do I know who the real me is? Because sometimes when we're honest, our feelings lie to us. Our feelings will confuse us and mislead us. So who's the real me? And how can I know? Well, into that confusion of our world, our creator has spoken and given us a beautiful life by design. And we can understand who the real you is. Who is it? Three points for this morning. The real you is a body and soul in unity. A body and soul joined together. Look at verse 7 of Genesis 2. God made Adam from the dust of the ground. In other words, the stuff of creation. And then Eve was created a few verses later out of the same matter, the same matter of creation, the same atoms and molecules and cells and and tissues that are in all the other creatures are in our bodies too. We've been made as part of creation, but we're more than that. God breathed life into the body that he had made and the man became a living creature, it says. Now, if you were here last week, we studied that 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 designation, living creature, isn't different from so many of the other creatures in the book of Genesis. They're, They're all called living creatures. But what makes us different is that God has designed us to have a face to face intimacy. He's breathed life into us as as his image bearers and that living body, that body and soul joined together is what God calls good. We're human because we're an image of God, body and soul joined together. And what that means, friends, is that our biology, our bodies really matter. We're not like some people suppose that uh, I'm a soul that's trapped in a body. That's really a more Greek philosophy idea than it is biblical. To, to say that my body isn't all that significant, I'm just passing through. My soul's what really matters. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We are body and soul joined together. As one theologian put it, I do not occupy my body as I might occupy a house or a spacesuit or a deck chair at the beach. On the contrary, my body is an integral part of me, inseparable from who I am. 
It's who we are. We're body and soul joined together. And it wasn't only true in the garden, but it's true for each one of us right now as we read from Psalm 139. God knit us together in the womb. Our soul knows it well. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's made our frame. He's created us body and soul and joined it together in unity. Another theologian said it like this. When he knit you together in your mother's womb, he planned out your physical appearance and your bodily functions. He knows whether you would become a fast runner or a brilliant musician. He gave you the body you have in order to fulfill the plans he has for you. Your body matters to God. It's how he made us with with particularities for you as an image bearer. And your particular things about your body are beautiful and should be embraced. Things like the color of your skin. It's beautiful and it's a gift of God. We should embrace who we are in the color of our skin or the curls in our hair or the shape of our body or whether you have athleticism or not or an artistic eye or not. It's all given to you by God and it matters. He gave you the body that you have in order to fulfill the plans he has for you. We even see it in the way that bodies and souls interact together because sometimes our feelings on the inside show up in our bodies. How many studies suggest that stress and emotional trauma are contributors to all manner of disease in the body? Heart disease, ulcers, all the way down to just having knots and trigger points in your neck and your back and your shoulders. My body is connected to my soul and how I feel on the inside shows up on the outside. We were created to be in unity. My own experience with battling chronic migraines and pain over this past year has driven that deeper into my, into my mind and my heart. Where what we feel in our body affects more than just the flesh of your body. For me, my mood My sense of optimism was was affected by the pain I felt in my body. Even at times, my sense of maybe God has forgotten about me. Maybe God doesn't see me. Maybe God no longer loves me. All because of the pain that we feel in our bodies sometimes. That's how we were made. God, he made our bodies and our souls to be connected, to be united and joined together. And we, we, we image God in that way. A body and a soul in unity. That's the real you. But the real you is also made male and female. If our bodies matter to God, then the particular way that he fashioned your body matters to God. Look at verse 27 of Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So every human being, every individual person is made fully in God's image, but we're made different. We're made distinct as male and female. Now, male and female are equally glorious in God's sight, but our glory isn't exactly interchangeable. There are things about females that aren't true about male and and vice versa. When we see our bodies, we see similarity, but we also see difference. Being male and female can be meaningfully seen in the body that God has given us. We can see who we are by looking at the body he's fashioned for us. In other words, we don't have to guess at our gender identity. We don't have to look and search inside, search our inner feelings to discover what our gender identity is. We can simply look at our bodies the way God made them 
and we can see it. Now, that truth about how God designed us and made us helps us avoid twin errors in our culture. And the first error is comparison. Men and women are made equally glorious, and yet there's a beautiful complement of male and female in our bodies and in our souls. Now, that difference isn't supposed to be where we discern which sex is more is superior, which is better. That's, that's, a, that's a fight in our culture, and it doesn't have to be that way. The differences in our biology shouldn't be seen as in competition with each other, as if it's one biological sex versus the other and may the best man or woman win. The point isn't finding significance through comparison, but deeply honoring one another as the image of God and how he made us to complement one another living in community, male and female in community, in relationship with one another. And so we show and demonstrate the character of our creator God. Equally dignified, equally glorious male and female have been made not for the purpose of competition. G.K. Chesterton put it this way in his little poem, Comparisons. If I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. We're made in compliment. We're made with glory in our own right, and we complement one another. And if God made you male, he's made you to love being male. If he made you female, he's made you to love being female. It's not a comparison. It's not a competition to see which is superior. It's an error in our culture. But there's another error in our culture of confusion. There's confusion about our, our, our cultural stereotypes and, and gender roles. But I want you to hear this clearly. You can be a gentle and tender and artistic man, and it is wonderful as far as the Bible sees it. It's glorious for you to express that gentle, tender, artistic side of who you are as a man. But you might also be a strong, powerful, driven woman, and that is fine and wonderful as far as the Bible is concerned. There's confusion about gender roles and all of that in our culture, but the way that the Bible describes us is equally glorious, and we can't be locked down by our particular culture stereotypes about how, how, our, how we function together. There's confusion in our culture about that. There's another confusion in our culture, and I want to be very direct for just a moment. There is a confusion of expression of gender dysphoria in our country, in our culture, the, the gender identity I feel on the inside may not match my body on the outside. That gender dysphoria is real. And the people who struggle with gender dysphoria is worthy of our tender care and our compassion and even our help. But God's word is very clear here. That helps us too. God's word affirms that our gender identity is something that's rooted in our biology. It's something that's seen in our body. It's in the body that God has fashioned for us and given to us. Our gender identity ultimately isn't located in our feelings. It's, it's located in the Bible, the, the body that God has given us. And there's freedom in that. There's clarity to see myself as I've truly been made. But in our culture, it's increasingly common for, for, for the modern world to speak as if there's a dislocation, there's a disconnection between the inner me, the real me that I feel on the inside, and my body on the outside. 
People will speak as though those things are not connected in a significant way. We might even hear people suggest, I'm not even sure that I should be identified as a human. Maybe I should be part of other uh, designation in the animal kingdom. Maybe, maybe I could be better identified as a furry or something like that. But the way the Bible talks about us, how we've been made and fashioned by our creator is that our body is the real us. The body is designed not with dislocation and disconnection between the real me on the inside and the not real me on the outside. The body's been designed with unity, body and soul together, male and female together imaging the the glory of God, made alike and yet different. And we can't truly understand who we are apart from our bodies, as if my body is something entirely different from who I am. Who's the real you? The real you is the one that you see in your body. That's what the scriptures teach us. I want to summarize something that I read from one pastor. It's a little different than how he put it, but here this, I think, will distill some of these issues. Our culture says the real me, the me on the inside, the the one where I find my gender identity is what's primary, and I want my body to be conformed to that. The real me on the inside is primary. That's what our culture says. But our creator says, your body is the real you. Your body and the gender identity that you that, that expressed in your body is the real you. That's the primary you, and may your mind be conformed to that. God has fashioned us in unity between body and soul. And who's the real you? It's the one we see in our bodies. That's the real us. And finally, who's the real you? We are broken, but on the way to being restored. There's a lot to say about this. And we'll look at the ruin and restoration of who we are next week in depth. But today, let's just acknowledge that our bodies aren't how they should be, right? We are defiled not only by the corruption of sin in our souls, but it also affects our bodies. The book of Genesis tells us, and Romans chapter 5 tells us, that death and sin enter the Garden of Eden as as a penalty. Death has entered the world, and it affects not only our souls in rebellion against God, but it affects our bodies as well. Death is that unnatural enemy that separates what God joined together. Death separates our body from our soul. But both have been affected by our sin. We are defiled as we have sinful desires in our hearts and our lives, and we even see it showing up in the body that we have with disease and decay. It's even made more clear when we remember the design that we studied last week, that we've been made and fashioned for intimate, face-to-face fellowship with our God, a holy fellowship with God and with one another. And when we look at God's design that way, we have to recognize we aren't who we should be. None of us are. We are stained by our sin. In body and soul, we're stained by our sin. I read a story one pastor told this week about the last time England won the World Cup in soccer. And it was in 1966. I was, I was sure that England had won it since then, but no, 1966 was the last time. And the captain of that team was Bobby Moore. And he was supposed to go up and receive the World Cup trophy from Queen Elizabeth. They were in Wembley Stadium. And as Bobby Moore started climbing up the steps, he looked down at his hands and he was mortified. 
because his hands were covered with the mud and the dirt from the soccer field. And, and Queen Elizabeth wore these white gleaming gloves. And he was not only supposed to receive the trophy, but he was supposed to shake her hand. And he was mortified. So the problem was he was dirty and defiled on the outside. He felt ashamed that he would bring this to his queen. And so he frantically began to try to wipe his hands off and do everything he could to get the mud off of his hands using his jersey, his shorts, anything around him he could find to clean himself up that he might be more presentable before his queen. You ever felt like that before God? Before the king of kings and lord of lords, you feel defiled on the outside of your body and you're ashamed on the inside that as I approach the Lord, I take a look at my life and I'm frantically trying to clean myself up. I have to be better than this if I'm gonna stand before a holy God. But friends, it never works. It never works because the sin goes too deep. What we see in our soul is corrupted by, by our sinful desires, our rebellion, our shame, and we see it manifested in our bodies too with disease and death and decay. The sin goes all the way through us. And we might wonder with the Apostle Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because a bath or a wipe down won't cleanse us body and soul. It won't make us holy in the sight of royalty. It's not gonna happen. We have to remember the gospel of Jesus. The Jesus who took on flesh, the Jesus who took on a body like ours in order to redeem us body and soul on the outside and the inside from our defilement and our shame. Jesus took on flesh and was given a body like us so that we could be redeemed through faith in him, body and soul together. First Corinthians 15 that's where the Apostle Paul affirms that gospel of Jesus, and he puts it like this. He said, he died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. All of our guilt and our shame has been nailed in Christ's body to the cross, and we are washed clean so that the condemnation that we deserve for all of our sin has been poured out on Jesus, our substitute. It's by his wounds, by his blood shed on the cross that we are clean, that we are washed clean forever. But the Apostle Paul continued by saying that Jesus was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. Jesus was bodily raised. And that's our hope too. It's not just that as believers in Jesus, we go to heaven when we die. That's true, but that's an intermediate state. That's, that's a temporary condition. Going to heaven when we die without our bodies is certainly better than what we have now. It's better than a broken body and a defiled soul, but it is not nearly as good as what God has planned for us, his ultimate plan of restoring us body and soul joined together forever. It's through trust in that Christ who has given his life for us that although we may die in the body, we shall be raised from the dead in a new body in which to live in the new heavens and new earth together with God, perfect forever. The corruption in your soul, the, 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 the desire, the rebellious heart that is forgiven through the cross shall be completely restored to holiness when you see Jesus face to face. And not only that, but when he returns again, everything that's wrong with your body right now will be made right. And you will be given an imperishable body, an incorruptible body. Are you willing to trust that Jesus who is willing to save you body and soul forever? 
Are you willing to roll all of your trust onto him, your trust for, I haven't lived the way that I should live, so Jesus, forgive me for my sinful desires. And Jesus, would you restore what's broken about my body, the decay in my body? Would you do it, Lord? I roll onto you trust for strength for today and for hope for tomorrow. Jesus is sufficient to bear that weight, to bear your faith, because he's begun a good work of renewing you in your soul if you've trusted him. And he's promised you a new body on the last day. And friends, if you've ever struggled with health concerns, that truth is such a deep encouragement. We try so hard in our lives to to seem durable and imperishable now. But the truth is this, you have a 100% chance of dying. Every one of us. Medical science can push back on it and and to fight against the diminishment in our fading bodies, but our hope is not in what medical science can offer. What our hope is in that way that you feel right now, the way you've felt in the past, won't last forever. There's a day coming when there will be no more sin, no more shame, no more affliction, no more disease, no more death, and you shall be made new in Jesus. And that's not in doubt. It is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is certain. Friends, one day you and I will stand before royalty, but one so much more powerful and glorious than Queen Elizabeth. One day you will stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus, you will stand before him no longer dirty and defiled because you've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And you will be restored, body and soul, working together in unity as they were designed to be. And you will live forever with the Lord according to his beautiful and good design for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us because there is so much broken about us in this world. There's so much wrong in our souls, so much wrong in our hearts with shameful, sinful desires, and we offer them to you and ask that you would forgive them, that you would cleanse us, you would begin that work of, of renewal in us even now. And Lord, give us hope. Give us hope for that restoration on the last day when you would give us a new body and the pains that we feel will be gone forever. The mourning over death will be gone forever and we will be restored to live with each other and live with you in body and soul forever. Lord, give us a fresh sense of that hope and that life. Help us to see the beauty and the dignity of the body that you've given to us and the glory that we have as male and female. Help us, Lord, to encourage others around us to see the the glory and the beauty of their lives and their bodies as well. Make us tender and compassionate and kind with those who are confused. Would you be tender and compassionate and kind with we who are confused sometimes? Lord, open our eyes that we might behold the beauty of your design and long for the truth and long for that restoration. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.